Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum where we talk today's thought leaders and game changers and the gentleman we have on today, definite game changer. So guys, first of all, I want to say thank you. I also want to thank our sponsor for today's episode. His name is James McNeil. He has a book out called Finding Your Mission to where if anybody out there is struggling with any kind of suicidal ideations or any imposter syndrome, definitely check out this book. This guy knows what he's talking about. He's been through two suicide attempts and he's now changing the world one person at a time. So definitely check him out and I'll put the the book in the liner notes. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. Um, get your pen and paper out because this gentleman has done amazing things in uniform and even doing better things out of the uniform. If you want to find out what a leader is and to how to become a, a leader, a better leader in your home, in your business, in military, this is the episode you need to listen to. Show my brother. Welcome hey. to the show. And by the way, I love your name because that's my son's name and you actually spelled it right. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Yes, I, uh, I have to correct a lot of people that this is actually the correct way to spell Sean, S-E-A-N, uh, the, the good Irish English way. Uh, but thanks for the uh, generous I- uh, info or intro and uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm really pumped. And the funny thing is I've actually talked with some people that actually have served with you mm-hmm. and under your command. So uh, this is going to be a really fun episode. So how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. I am staying super busy uh, here in Nashville, Tennessee um, with uh, growth. It's been growth. And that's kind of the name of the game this year, which has been amazing. Uh, My my martial arts company called Legion Jiu-Jitsu, we've grown to three locations in and around the Nashville area in the last three and a half years. And we're looking at other expansion. We just launched an online academy and other businesses. So it's that's going uh, great. So we've, we're in that switch uh, mode that a lot of businesses go to where we go from kind of startup to growth. And that comes with its own exciting challenges. So been sort of guiding that. And then same thing on the business coaching side of things, Stronger Leaders, Stronger Profits is really starting to take off. I feel, I feel the energy this year as I feel like people are shaking off 2020 and uh, ready to tackle life. And so things are going great. That's awesome. You know, I want to talk, talk a little bit about, um, you know, where you're from, where you're born and raised, what kind of kid you were, then about your military career, and then now what you're doing now. So what was little Sean like as a kid? Uh, a lot of energy, I'm told. And uh, I was... I was raised by a single mother until she uh, got married in junior high to my now stepfather. And, you know, really growing up, I saw what hard work, I saw what leadership, I saw what selfless service was from my mother who, you know, raised me, um, worked full time and put herself through undergrad and grad school to create a career to better provide for us. Uh, all with basically no financial help from anyone. So she really picked herself up. And that was a model that I drew strength from as I got older. And uh, I competed in uh, wrestling in junior high and high school. And I was in, you know, played a lot of different sports. I enjoyed debate. Uh, I was kind of all around the place. I was kind of 
I was the the jock who happened to be an AP class who also played the violin, you know. So I was kind of jack of all trades. Okay, now I, you know I've offered now blah 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 too many drinks. Um, you know I've talked to now hundreds of people on this podcast and my other podcast, and some of the most successful operators or I don't know, Delta Force, Airborne, they all seem to have one two things in common. One is we're readers they read a lot mm-hmm. and they, they loved knowledge and second was they wrestled in either junior high or high school <laughs> and i think it was because there's a certain mentality especially when you have to cut weight and if, if the if it comes around the holidays and you're watching everybody eating turkey and stuffing and you're like eating broccoli so cutting weight and i think the workouts are probably the hardest of any sport so do you think that wrestling mentality moved a lot into your uh, into your future oh absolutely it's kind of funny you bring that that up and you've you've seen that commonality because i tell people all the time that uh you know mental toughness and mindset i think is something that has to be built over time right we can't just decide to go from uh you know a sloth on the couch to you know an operator type mentality or a elite athlete mentality in a day you have to build that over time and i've told people over and over again that i don't think i would have made it as far as my military career accomplished what I was able to accomplish without wrestling, because exactly like you said, you know, I remember, you know, remember times in let's say Rangers school or something like that. And you're walking and I see, I see people just dropping, right. It's that we haven't eaten much or tired. You haven't slept and people are just giving up left and right. Um, and I'm like, man, I, I used to do this when I was 15, you know, <laughs> like when I was 15, 60 and I'd be out, you know, I haven't hadn't had water for 24 hours. And I remember wrestling with my, you know, plastics on and my sweatsuit and literally in the middle of a, of, a, of a practice, just waking up because I just passed out from dehydration. And then, you know, you cool off, you get up and you do it again. Now, I'm not saying that's the healthiest way to do it. And I don't think that's the way they do it in high school athletes, athletics anymore. But that's the sort of mental toughness and mentality that comes from wrestling. And there are plenty of times during my time at West Point uh, in the infantry, you know, Rangers school, uh, combat, and then all the way through, I think all those things built. And I don't think if I would have had wrestling, I don't think I would have made it, you know, through Ranger school, through, uh, infantry training, through deployments. And if I hadn't had those experience, I don't think I would have made it through selection and the Q course and, you know, all of the, the combat time leading a special forces team. And I don't think I would have passed special forces combat diver school if I hadn't had the Q course and special and special forces selection before that. So I just think you build mental toughness uh, over time. And wrestling was definitely a strong base for that. So now because you were in school and you were great, um, you were great, great in school and a great athlete. Um, you, I'm sure you had uh, college scholarships. What made you say, all right, West Point. Yeah, so I, I did. You know, it's funny. I remember my mom asked me, I think I think it's like 16, right, when the uh, the recruiters can start calling you and start offering stuff uh, from different military services. And I remember I didn't really come from a military family or anything. And so I remember my mom kind of joking around with me and said, hey, well, hey, you could just do that, you know, because we didn't have any money for college. So it was always sort of the expectation I was going to have to find a way to pay for it myself. And she's like, you could just join the Army, kind of joking. I was like, yeah, right, mom, I'm going to. You know, we, we, were, we were from Lawrence, Kansas, where Kansas University is. And I just remember joking, like, I'm going to go to KU and or I'm going to go somewhere and wrestle and I'm going to party and have a good time and all this. You could have been a Jayhawk. I could have been a Jayhawk. Yeah. I mean, my whole family's, uh, you know, 
from there and my both my uh my mother and my father you know stepfather both went to KU so okay. yeah I'm definitely a, a KU fan grew up around it my whole life but yeah it's I remember I remember saying that was and then when I was 16 like maybe just turned 16 and then life starts to speed up I think you know when you get to end, end of your high school time you start thinking oh god like I'm getting ready to leave like <laughs> life's getting ready to actually start right now and you know I started asking myself some deep questions about, you know, who do I want to be? What, what kind of contribution do I want to make in the world? And started really, you know, like you said, I was an avid reader, especially I still am of like news and policy and history. And I said, you know, there's not that many places in the world where I could have had this experience or my mom could have been a single mom and raised me and had the opportunity she did. And, and I remember at that time, uh, things were flaring up in uh, Israel and reading a story about how a, bomb went off roadside bomb went off at a school bus stop and killed a bunch of kids and i remember thinking god i don't have to worry about that that's not something that i think about on a day-to-day basis and why why not like why why don't i have to think about that but other kids do and in my mind you know i thought well it's because other people have sacrificed to create this country and this opportunity and this freedom the safety and security that we all take for granted on a near daily basis and this is a re- uh, sort of a revelation i had and and that really thought, well, you know, I'm able-bodied uh, and, you know, able to serve and able to contribute. And it, with that ability came in my, uh, my estimation, an obligation to continue that and pass it on the next generation. So the next generation, you know, kids didn't have to worry about school bus bombings at their bus stop either. And so it's at that point I decided I wanted to go into the military in some form. And so at that, you start looking around, it's like, well, I want to go to a, the best school I can. I don't have the best grades because while well, I would take tough classes, I didn't really study that hard because I wasn't really, wasn't really pushed to like, oh, you have to get a GPA of this. I just took some advanced classes because I thought they were more interesting and thought I was just going to go wrestle somewhere on a scholarship. But, you know, because West Point has, and the military academies have this whole person concept, right? They're not, well, it's an Ivy League education. They're not looking for the kid in his mom's basement that's going to, you know, find the new new cure for cancer in, in a lab somewhere, you know, or write the next computer code. They're looking for, you know, leaders of soldiers. And I sort of fit that bill. And I'm like, well, this is the best school I can get into and I can serve. And so it was sort of an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And I applied to all three service academies, but I got in through West Point, the early action. And I immediately canceled the once the Naval and Air Force Academy uh, because I knew that I wanted to be in the Army as the branch of service. All right, so then I got to ask you because I I just got off the phone with General with Lieutenant Colonel Fivecoat, and he was talking about how many demerits he had to walk off at West Point. Did you have any demerits that you had to walk off? I had thirty five hours of forced marching at West Point, <laughs> which is maybe not as many as some, uh, but more than most. Um, and uh, you know, I wasn't what necessarily like a I'd say a trouble a troublemaker. Uh, while I was there, but I do have a bit of a rebellious and freedom seeking side. And so it is usually for, you know, me and uh, me and the buddies going out to like a concert in New York city or up at Poughkeepsie or something and coming, coming back late or stay, you know, at, at going out on a, you know, a weekend, weekend trip uh, down to, you know, Jersey or Philly or something. And we just got a little carried away and got back late, stuff like that. That's usually what got me in trouble was, uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, I, I want to do it my way type of attitude, but yeah, it's West Point was, you know, a great experience. I tell people it's a great place to be from, not at, because <laughs> it's not a typical college experience, but I learned a ton of great lessons. I got a fan 
connection. And I made some really good friendships while I was there. And you know what? I've never been as cold as being in New York <laughs> within an ice storm. It's crazy. Mm. You know, I'm in Jersey here, but it's it's like 15 degrees colder up there. Uh, I swear, as soon as you pass New York City and get in the Hudson Valley, man, it drops like 20 degrees and add a foot of snow. So now uh, you graduate. Now, did you pick infantry or did they put you in infantry? No, infantry is my first choice. You know, that was another kind of a similar revelation to the one I had in high school with getting in the military. When I first went to West Point, I thought, well, I'm going to go be a military intelligence officer and then uh, I'd always kind of wanted to be a lawyer. And so I was like, well, after 18 months, I can put in a JAG packet and I'll, I'll be a lawyer for the, for the military. That'll, that'll be great. And then I guess for the first time, you know, you actually started doing army stuff. I started actually, you know, leading uh, some of the other cadets and field training and stuff like that and getting out in the woods and getting dirty and, you know, doing patrols. And I'm like, oh man, this is, this is pure leadership. But I really think I found was, you know, I think I, I'd always been a leader and been in leadership roles and clubs and with my teams and stuff like that. But that really, I saw how pure leadership works and, and it's different when you're in the field, right. Than when you're in the office. And uh, I was like, this is just seeing people overcome their fears, anxieties, push their limits, accomplish uh, these difficult tasks as a, as an organization and team and really build that culture. And it, it was addicting. And so uh, about halfway through into my junior year, I decided, you know what, called my mom and said, you know, we had talked about me branching into uh, military intelligence, but I'm going to go into the infantry and I knew I wanted to go light infantry. So I got to pick between, uh, well, the only place I couldn't go was Italy or Hawaii. I wasn't quite that smart, but uh, I got to pick between uh, all the other, all the other posts and units. And uh, I got the 101st Airborne Division at Fort Campbell, which was my first choice outside of those. Uh, you know, and I love that. And, you know, like I was on tanks for 20 years, but when your tank breaks down, everybody becomes infantry, <laughs> mm-hmm. so, you know, and it, it's, it's a whole infantry is a whole different, a whole different mentality. And it's, it's a hell of a person to, to walk point or also be the guy behind everybody watching everybody six. So um, now tell us, you know, cause like a lot of people, you know, a lot of people I've talked to, you know, they, they make, you know, captain major, and then that's it. They don't push it any further. What made you push beyond just being a regular officer? You know, it's, it's an interesting question that I get asked this kind of, you know, cause after about five years, right. When you first kind of at that point, you're a brand new captain, you do your platoon leader time. Uh, you can get out, right. You do after West Point, you get five years of active service, you can get out. And, you know, I, I thought about it a little bit, but, it's almost hard to intellectually describe to people. I'd say it's, it's a feeling. I had this feeling that I wasn't done. I had a feeling that I had more to give. I had a feeling that I hadn't pushed myself to the limits that I knew were out there for me, for myself, uh, physically and mentally as a leader. And I felt like, the mil- I, I still had more to give the military and I feel like the military still had more to give me and to keep me outside my comfort zone and keep, keep pushing those, those limits as a leader and as a human. And so because of that, I uh, put in my application to go into special forces and went to SFAS, got selected. And after that, it was all right. My, my new goal is to be, you know, be a green beret and, you know, I had my eyes kind of set on that as, as a possibility from the beginning because I remember I was at West Point and there's only one 
uh, Green Bray or Special Forces officer at West Point. At least there was at the time. And he was a brand new major at a, at a fifth group, actually. And, uh, you know, of all the, you know, you've got colonels and generals and all these high ranking people and they've written policy and they, you know, they've worked at the Pentagon. Uh, this guy had just come off teams that had done the initial invasion in, um, in Afghanistan and lost friends, had gone back multiple times, had been in combat. And even though he was a brand new major and I had him for a class called low intensity conflict, which is basically, uh, you know, insurgent warfare, he was, he blew me away as an officer in my mind he stood head and shoulders above all the other officers I interacted with in terms of his passion for his soldiers, for the mission, his knowledge, the way he carried himself. And I was like, God, that, that's, I just knew I was like, that's the type, whether I get a green beret or not, like that's the type of officer I want to be. And so that was always in the back of my mind. And I just thought, I don't know what he's been through or what he's done. That's made him this way, but it's different. And I wanted a taste of that and I wanted to test myself and see if I could be the same type of person. And so when I had the opportunity, I had to jump at it. And you know what I love is, you know, I, I've talked to, you know, a couple of Navy SEALs like John Brent and, you know, and, and a bunch of operators. And they talk about one thing, you know, like everybody thinks when you see, when you think Ranger or Delta Force, you're, you're picturing this guy that's all jacked up and shredded at percent body fat. And you think, that's the person that's going to make it through either buds or any kind of training, but that's usually the guy that falls out. And it's yeah. people that you think that are not going to make it that make it because they have that one more rep mentality that, you know, no matter what happens, either I'm going to do this push up or I'm going to pass out, but I'm not going to quit. And like you said before, and that's it really um, emanated with me before is when you said, you know, you've seen these people dropping out and quitting because they didn't have that one more rep mentality. So can you please talk about that one more rep mentality? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it comes down to that, right? And I, like I guess that's a mental toughness. I think you have to build over time. I also think some people are obviously, uh, you know, predispositioned to have it, but it's also something you have to cultivate. It has to be a conscious decision for you to say, you know, quitting's not on the table. You know, I remember, uh, I'll give, I'll give two, two stories here. One. So Ranger school for those people who aren't familiar, it, it's changed in length a bit, but when I was going through it was 60 days and, um, you know, there's difference, there's three different cycles, there's hell week and there's three, uh, phases as you go through. And so about 18% of the people, uh, the time would go straight through, um, about another 50% or so maybe 40% would, probably closer to 40, uh, would eventually make it, but they'd have to redo one of one of the three-week, two-week cycles um, in there, right? You have to recycle. And uh, I remember I was going through, and I'm not one of the type of people who usually has to recycle things, um, but I went through and, and it, through a different set of circumstances and the group I was in and my own performance, I ended up having to recycle mountain phase. And that by mind you, I started in February. So mountain phase in February is no fun. Um then I went through and start over again. One of the hardest things mentally and physically to overcome was this, you know, everything, almost every night in a place like Ranger School Selection or anywhere else like that, you, the thing that gets you through the night uh, is at least I don't have to do this day again, right? Like at least, at least day seven of Mountain Phase, I don't have to ever do it. It's gone, you know? And to tell, have someone after that say, no, actually that you have to redo the last three weeks all from the beginning and some other people are going forward and, you know, feel like a, the mental fatigue of feeling like you failed. 
that was rough. So then I restarted mountain phase and we went through the first week or so. And then uh, we come back and I'm rocking it. I'm leading my team. I've got this down. I'm going to cruise the rest of this, this school. And then they did a health and welfare inspection because they, one of the, there's actually a young ranger had left his locker unlocked and they had found tobacco and some food and you're not allowed to have either. So they go through everyone's stuff and I'm like, man, thank God, you know, during the recycle phase and we had a, a time between, you know, we could get care packages and stuff. Thank God I got rid of everything. I'm not trying to hide anything or do any of that stuff. Well, out of the pocket of one of my old fatigues, you know, these BDUs that I wasn't even going to wear because they were so nasty, uh, falls, uh, you know, three sugar packets, these little sugar packets, you know, like you put in your coffee and stuff that I guess I had been saving during a patrol. I totally forgot about. So long story short, they, they send me all the way back to Fort Benning because of this, uh, these sugar packets. And I remember I walked in with the Sergeant Major and Colonel and in the back of my head, I knew I was going to the 101st. I knew I was going to the Rogasons, one of the better, you know, one of the more prestigious units I brigades I'd say. And I said, I, I don't know what I'm going to tell them other than, sir, you're, you're going to have to either do uh, one of two things, reinsert me into the school or call the MPs to drag me out of here. Cause I'm not leaving without a Ranger tab. And that was exactly what I told him. And uh, they were a little surprised of why I got sent back, but they said, well, we're gonna have to start you over day zero. And it doesn't start for 30 days. And you're gonna have to do manual labor until then. And I said, Roger that and went back. So long, you know, I'd say long story short, not really that short of a story, but uh, I spent five months at Ranger school and got my Ranger tab and you know, that's another one of those things where you just walk in, you say, look, I, it doesn't matter what happens. Either I'm leaving on a stretcher or I'm leaving with my tab. And you have to make that type of commitment. And honestly, when you make that decision in life, in business, anything else, it almost is a de-stressor because you, you know, otherwise when you're doing hard things, you, you kind of think, man, is this oh, at every turn at every obstacle it's oh god well maybe this isn't worth it maybe i should quit maybe i should be doing something else maybe but if you make the decision when you start that no matter what happens i'm gonna finish or i'm gonna die trying then it really makes the journey easier and less stressful because there's only one option and i feel like it's people that make that decision going into it are the ones who can succeed in those high stress environments like operators now i love that you know and, and you moved up very high um, you know, I was the highest I ever got was a, 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 a squad leader and a tank commander. But I know that once I got put into a leadership position, perspective changed because now I had guys that are under me that I had to make sure they were taken care of and their health and welfare was taken care of. So what was it like when you had to make that mindset switch to, you know, all of a sudden it's not just you. But now you have people that are depending on you and you and sometimes you have to make that ultimate call to go in somewhere or do something that, you know, might take might lose some some people. What was that mind shift shift like? And it's so different when it's just yourself and it's others. Right. Um, and you have to really take a look at the bigger picture, because while sometimes it's OK, especially in those, you know, selection type situations or life or death situations and combat, it's OK, you know it becomes a no brainer say like, I'm going to do this no matter what, but you have to always be analyzing because you can, you can push your team and make them combat ineffective, right? You can, you can push them to the point where you aren't able to accomplish the mission because you didn't regulate, you didn't give them recovery. You didn't take in, into account all those other factors. And I'll tell you what though, it's in terms of not just in a certain scenario or a certain decision, just generically, 
I think what it comes down to is, and I feel the same way in business now, is it has to be, you know, like I know it's a mantra that they preach, big army too, but it's got to be mission first, soldiers always. And I genuinely, and I think I, I preach even to my clients now that leadership has to be come from a place of love. And I loved my soldiers because of, I knew that they were in the top 1% of Americans that they, they were doing and they had volunteered to do something that most people wouldn't do. And they had put themselves and sacrificed to be where they were. And I respected the hell out of them for it. And it just made me force myself to a whole new level, right? Because no matter how stressed you were personally, professionally, when you stood in front of those soldiers, you had to be that commander that you wanted to see if you were in the rank and file and you have, you know, you're the last one to eat. You're the last one to sleep. You, the last, the worst thing you can do in those type of situations, those combat type situations, those struggle situations is you have to be the calming force. You have to be the lighthouse in the storm. That's your, like, I I actually preach this to some of my clients. Like, look, when, when crap hits the fan, and this is exacerbated by the intensity of the environment. And there's nothing more intense than combat. So when you're in that environment, you only have two jobs as a leader. Stay calm and make a decision. And that's all your soldiers expect from you. And, and so you have to have the mental fortitude, the mental strength, and the self-discipline to compartmentalize all those other emotions and stay crystally focused on the task at hand and making a decision and communicating effectively. And that's what I focused on was I love my soldiers. I'm going to take care of them. I'll sacrifice all whatever it takes uh, to get it done. And if you give that trust and respect down an organization, it naturally comes back up to you. You know, and I love that. You know, one thing I love about your bio and I had to read it twice um, is that, you know, you were talking about sometimes, you know, stuff gets politically intense where sometimes power is just not enough, but you have to be able to talk to people and emphasize with people. So can you please talk about, you know, sometimes we don't realize, you know, like when I was a corrections officer, that sometimes it was easier just to talk somebody out of their cell instead of to go in there with hats and bats and pull them out. So can you talk a little bit about interpersonal connections and relationships you know, especially being a leader, how that works in in a team setting. Well, it's critical, right? Especially in a team setting, especially in like, for example, you know, even with uh, when I took over my first team, I was lucky enough to have two commands uh, in special forces. My first team, I showed up, you know, 28 years old, brand new Green Beret, you know, and got my special forces tab on and my Ranger tab and, you know, look at me, hot stuff, right? And walk in my team room, Youngest guy on the team. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the young captain, but I'm the youngest guy on the entire team, the least experienced guy in the entire team, but you're still the commander, right? And so you learn really quick, uh, you know, as a, as, you know, even as a 23-year-old platoon leader or as a 28-year-old, you know, commander, that you have to – there's a – humility uh, is a good thing. It, humility doesn't mean you let people walk all over. You have to have the confidence – but recognize that, you know, a leader is 
just because you're the leader, you're, you're still a role player, right? I say all the time, everybody is an individual contributor on a team. It's just, they're contributing different things. And so what I always tried to do, and I try to do this in business as well as find out. So how can, how can I create the most value for this team? What's my, what's my role, you know? And, in, and, and I'll shift over to kind of business, you know, the same thing on a business team. Hey, sometimes the best thing you can do is lead by example and you go do the dirtiest job in front of you know, your employees or your team or your soldiers, right? Show them you're willing to go in and do the dirtiest, nastiest thing. Sometimes that's how you can get the best results and what your team needs you to do. But other times it's to sit back and listen because it's not, it's, it shouldn't be, especially on a special force team. I mean, everyone there has so much experience. Everyone's intelligent. Everyone's driven. Everyone has different backgrounds and experiences and the value what makes that Green Beret team so impactful? The reason that when you when a battle space commander looks down and 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 they are putting groups of uh, different organizations of different levels and saying how much area and population can we affect with this unit? There's a reason that they can take a battalion with 700 soldiers and a 12 person Green Beret team and they'll cover the same area. That's 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 how we battle plan. So how could 12 guys have the same impact of 700? It's not, it's not by you being a, being a Napoleon, right. And being a dictator. And it's not all going to come from one person's mind. It's the power of the team. And so your job is to facilitate, to maximize the impact of the team by taking all those different ideas, giving guidance, supporting them from outside in. And I always just said, Hey, look, team starting, here's how we're going to run this. Uh, you know, I'm going to take care of everything outside this team. I'm going to insulate you from as much BS as I can. I'm going to bring you all the information I can. I'm going to support us and I'm going to give you that umbrella coverage. And I'm going to let your experience having done this for almost 20 years to lead and maximize these individual soldiers. And then as a team, we're going to get the best out of every individual. And we're, the way that's going to happen is we're each going to play our own role. And so I didn't, you know, as a leader, it's not like you're above everyone. Your, your job just happens to be planning, coordinating, communicating, decision-making. And someone else's job might be to take the sniper shot, but that doesn't mean that your job is any more lesser or important. So everyone just has to get, you know, get in the boat and row wherever that you can have the greatest impact. And so as a leader, you can't, you can't shirk that responsibility of decision-making and lead and listening to your subordinates. In fact, your job is to take all that input and then package it and communicate it so you're most effective. You know, I love that. And it just brought me back to something somebody said the other day. We were talking about, you know, how many people on social media, they're worrying about followers and all that stuff. And I said, you know, Jesus only had 12 and he changed the world. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all like you said, it's all it's all about the, the teamwork. So what year did you get out? So I got in 2015. So I, uh, just coming up, uh, actually ended this End of this month. So next week will be my six-year anniversary of, of ETSing. So now, you know, because you've been, I know you've been deployed everywhere and all that stuff, and we don't talk about all that because of OPSEC. But um, what was that thought process to where you decide, you know what, there's got to be something else out there for me. Um, I think I'm, I'm done. What was that mindset like when you had to hang up the uniform for that time? Because, you know, I talked to a lot of people. And, you know, some when they, they transition is, you know, we all may be hardcore and hula hula, but we get so used to getting paid on the 1st and the 15th 
getting BAA, BAB, you know, all that good stuff. But then when we hit the streets, most of us, you know, we don't do the whole 20 years. So we hit we hit the streets. And first of all, we don't have our team anymore. So we feel like we're alone. Um, we don't, like I said, don't have that camaraderie. We don't have a plan. And a lot of times, you know, they say if you don't, if you're in the military and you if you haven't been divorced, bankrupt, or at least one DUI, then you, then you didn't have a good military career. So a lot of times, you know, guys get out and girls get out. They don't, you know, they like me, everything was being Sergeant Kaufman. And the day that they told me you're no longer in the military, it was like, all right, who's Richard? So what was your transitioning like? Man, um, yeah, you hit on some really, really good points there. I'll tell you. So let's break the. I'll break this up into two parts. The first, the first thing you asked, like, why, why get out? And you know, I think it kind of goes back to that first decision I said. So at that point, after five years, I said, you know what? I think I have more to prove. I think I have more to give, and I think I have more to get um, out of this experience. And you know, I, after I finished my special forces time, I was like, man, you know, I just had a 10 year off career as an officer. I spent nearly seven of the 10 in command roles. You know, I was basically training or in a command role. I had one year of staff time and I was, and every position I had been put in had really max pushed me to the limit, opened me up to new experiences and new things and pushed me past uh, where I thought I could even go. And I kind of looked at the next 10 years you know, it just has not really for me, you know, as it was, was going to pin a major, I was going to be behind a desk. I wasn't going to be leading soldiers on the ground. And I, and so I felt like, you know what, it's time for a new challenge. And I, and I also had this sense, especially after, you know, um, some violent experiences overseas that, you know, I've kind of done my part and, um, and I'm ready to move on. And then the transition, like you talked about all the things, right. All the things you talked about your personal identity, who are you now? Um, you know, you knew yourself before the military, but that's not the same person, you know, we, yeah, I, I was, I was 32. And when I got into the military, I was 18. I was a completely different human that I didn't know and didn't know how to define. And for me, it always is like, well, when in doubt, work harder. So I said, well, I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, I, I, I set a goal for myself. I, I knew that I, I wanted to teach coach mentor leadership and problem solving because that was my passion in the military you know everybody has parts of their job they love and parts they don't love and the military for me was always about leading it's all about the team and it was about solving tough problems and i wanted to do that but i knew that i wasn't ready yet um i didn't understand business enough um and so i said well i need to do two things before i can move on to that part of my professional life and it was so i got my mba got a formal education for education business. Then I said, well, I need to start a company and get it to be basically self-sustainingly profitable. And then I can go and confidently coach and help other business leaders. But that process, especially the first three or four years was so much harder than I ever could have imagined. I was like you mentioned recently divorced when I got out of the military. Then I was trying to start my first company, transition to civilian life and be a full-time online MBA student all at the same time. And, um, I nearly killed myself. Like I, um, you know, that bullheadedness that gets us through tough times can also, uh, in certain cases be a detriment. And so, you know, my, my first business after three years was not doing well. It was failing. I had taken on investment money from friends and family and I was losing my own money and other people's money and the expectations of myself. And it was like, Oh my God, I'm back at ranger school. 
Like I'm failing. I'm trying so hard. No matter how hard I try, I can't make this work. And so, okay, um, question. That was rough. Because yeah, you know, I've talked to like now we'll start getting into business and talking about yeah. You know, I've talked to a lot of, like I said, entrepreneurs, and I call them veterans. They're veterans that want that become entrepreneurs. But a lot of them, you know, they get out of the military. They want to start a t-shirt company, a hat company, liquor, or a coffee company. Uh, six months later, ten thousand dollars in debt. Don't know what the hell just happened. And a lot of it, I think, is because they don't have a plan. But now I've also talked to a bunch of guys that got out, you know, got their MBAs, then started a business. And they keep telling me that, OK, they taught me a lot of st stuff in school for my MBA. But it's kind of like being in the military. You know, there's the field way and then there's the book way. And sometimes you got to mixture, do a mixture of the field way and the book way. So what was it like when you first started failing and then you had to pivot and figure out why you were failing in business? Uh, it was it was so hard. Um, and especially because I had actually uh, I was in a franchise situation. And so because of that, you know, I did a lot of analysis. I kept working and I kind of. Well, one I had signed a, it was a brick and mortar. So I signed a lease deal that was way too expensive. And I was trying to get out of that, but I was sort of, I legally put myself in a bind. And then for a franchise model, I was like, well, I need to, I know what I need to change. Or I think I know I need to change in terms of marketing and branding, but I can't either. So I felt so mm -hmm. stuck. And so my default mode was work harder. And, and as I did that, um, my hormones got all jacked up. Um, I started having health issues. I started, I mean, I, I had to go to the doctor. I was getting le these open sore lesions on my back and no one could figure out why I was losing weight. And it came down to it's just stress. And I just pushed myself um, to the point where I, my doctor's like, you need to change something. Like you're, you're literally putting yourself in an early grave right now by how hard you're, you're going. And, and I, so it was at that point, I was like, man, I knew I needed to pivot. And, um, but I, like you said, I put myself in a lot of debt and I lost a lot of other people's money. So, I finally just had to pick my pride up and, and I reached out to a couple partners and said, Hey, I think we can, um, kind of do things a different way, but I have to close this business. And I had to take a backseat to some other co-founders and move to a different spot in the boat and row and take my licks and build up the, the new company. But all the things you just said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I had any advice to someone who wanted to be an entrepreneur out of the military, it would be have a little patience. You know, if you need some formal education, go get your MBA, do whatever. And then just go find a, you know, good, find a good boss, right? Like go find a good commander, go find someone that, and a company that you, you, uh, that is in the field you want to be in, uh, in the future and they have a good culture and just go do it. You know, I think that was my mistake was I thought, well, I've, I've led teams before I can take the, I can take this other person's business model and run it just fine. But I'd never been in that industry. I'd never run a business and just, you know, take the year or two or three to go do your field time, right? Go be a private again and kind of suck up your pride and do that for a little bit. Just so you can just, there's, there's going to be those nuances, right? There's going to be those things that don't come out in the books that you can't read about. You just have to go do and go find a good mentor and do some of those things. Cause I bet the plan that you start that experience with and the plan you come out of it will be vastly different. Definitely. You know, I like to touch on that. 
a franchise thing for a second, you know, because I know what a lot of guys, when they get out of the military, I don't know what kind of business I'm going to start. So I'm going to buy into a franchise. And I was with a franchise for over 11 years and it was a general nutrition center where at one time GNC was the stuff and, you know, we're doing 1.5 million a year, you know, and you're paying high rent, but you don't mind paying high rent when you're making high money. But mm-hmm. now COVID, you know, you're making 400,000 a year and that rent is still the same and you can't pivot because you can't use social media because it goes against their guidelines or you can't go out and promote certain ways because it goes against the guidelines of your franchise agreement. So I understand. I totally get what you're saying about you. Sometimes you feel handcuffed when you have a franchise and you're, and you're literally stuck. So, Mm -hmm. so I get that. So how, how did you, start your what was the next step into your entrepreneurship what kind of business did you guys start so then uh what i the the franchise i was in was sort of a fitness um martial arts like ma jujitsu hybrid um and i also found out through that experience that you know i i I like helping people get fit and healthy and being in that field but being a gym rat or being in that environment and I mean, it's a brutal business, um, being in fitness, there's really no customer loyalty. Uh, you know, you, you'd go to the same convention or wherever, you know, event, and you're trying to convince people to come do what's right for their health. And they're skipping you and going right over, you know, to the, to the booze line or the, or the donut shop or whatever. And it's just so frustrating. And so, uh, but I, the martial arts side, um, I said, coming from a wrestling background, I, I trained Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the military and then later. And I found out that really was where my passion was. And so, um, again, got a couple of um, partners, investors, and uh, helped them start a company called Legion Jiu-Jitsu. So we just did Brazilian jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts. Started with a couple locations and um a partner and found a Brazilian to partner with that was a good guy. And so we created our own brand, our own company, a lot of lessons learned and uh, launched two locations. And then shortly after I opened our third and now um, I do uh, now a partner and a co-owner and do uh, sort of, I, I was the COO for a long time running operations. And now I'm doing primarily business development strategy and marketing, which is right up my alley. And it's been uh man, such a different experience and so rewarding to kind of go through, you know, three and a half years of, of hell um, and feel like you are just running in place and just the water keeps washing over your, you know, you're, you're, tra- feel like you're in dive school doing yellow brick road, right? Trying to tread water while you pass around 20 pound weights so while you're half drowning. And that's kind of how I felt for the first few years. And it was nice to kind of come out the other side and be like, okay, no, I, we can make this work. Um, you can persevere. You can take these lessons learned and and create a, a thriving organization. Okay, then I got a question to ask you, because especially if your person has one, more than one location, you know, because um, I love branding. You know, I'm a big. I believe that you are your brand. You know, like mm-hmm. if me and you are watching ESPN, and Michael Jordan comes walking out wearing an Adidas jumpsuit, we'd be like, wait, wait, <laughs> what just happened? You are Air mm-hmm. Jordan. You are the, you know, you are Nike in a way, but how do you, you know, cause now, you know, you own three, three different franchises or how do you make sure that, cause I, I know like my partner one, he owned eventually three or four different GNCs. Um, everybody kept coming to the store because of him. He was the face of the store. 
but it's different when you're running three different stores because you can't be everywhere at once. So how do you find that strong leadership for, to run your locations to, to follow your lead and what you want? Great question. So what we try to do from the onset to make ourselves and differentiate ourselves in the marketplace is especially in the martial arts area, right? It's usually a lo- one location. It's about that head instructor, right? It's about somebody there. It's, you know, it's whatever it's Jim Smith jujitsu is like on the sign or whatever. Right. And he's, and it's about him and his, and it's all about that person. And we did from the onset because we knew that I, we had, and I thought we could disrupt the market and business place by doing things a little differently. And so instead of making it about one individual or one leader, so we're going to make this about, we're putting the brand and the team and the culture first. And so from a branding perspective, we always made sure that Legion Jiu-Jitsu was out front. We encouraged uh, our students to train at different locations. And then we started and we start rotating our instructors a bit. Right. And that also from, a you know, talking more tactics now from a business sense insulates you from uh, what happens at a lot of gyms or um, or martial arts studios where, where you have an instructor. He's popular. Everybody likes him or her. And then they they get a following. They figure stuff out and then they go, oh, sorry, I'm taking off. And they take half your clients or half your students because the loyalty is to that individual yeah. instead of the team. And so we made a conscious decision where we're going to rotate different instructors in and out and give people different experiences. And we're going to create standard, you know, a standard branding package. The gyms are going to look the same. We're going to teach the same. We're going to call things the same. We're going to coach each other's students at competitions and we're going to create it. And that's going to allow us to grow at a rate and function as a true business, as opposed to being sort of that artisan model where it's about this one individual. It's not about that individual. It's about the, the collective team effort and the culture that we have. And when you put, you, instead of putting a person on a pedestal, you put an idea and a concept and a culture on the pedestal where you can grow that infinite in an infinite amount. Yeah, you know, I love that because I was talking to somebody the other day and, and I said, do you know who is the, the biggest landowner in the world? And they're like, I don't know. And I said, McDonald's. Mm-hmm. McDonald's is the largest landowner in the world. And they don't make the best hamburgers, but they have the best systems. So mm-hmm. if you have a good business plan and your systems are in plan, like you said, it can grow infinite. You know, you, it, it can just keep growing and growing and then eventually just grow itself organically on its own. So now, how did you get into, you know, getting into talking about leadership and how did you get into that doing this, you know, besides running a, a full-time company, starting another company? Are you a glutton for punishment? Uh, I am a, I'm a sucker for punishment and that's what my wife keeps telling me. Um, but yeah, I, um, I like to stay busy and I, I just have big goals. I have certain goals. I have certain financial goals that I told myself when I got out of the military, I wanted to achieve in a certain amount of time. And also more importantly, I have a certain impact that I want to have. And I'm just driven by how short life is like, life, it's so damn short yeah. and I don't want it. And, and I draw strength from friends and soldiers that we, that I, that we've lost. Um, and you know, I've got pictures of them up and it, it, it's, I know this is I'm round about your question, but I'm, it's, that's the important aspect to me is, you know, I try to do everything a hundred percent. So like, if I'm, if I'm 
going to hit a financial goal or grow a company or have a impact, I'm going to do it a hundred percent. And then conversely, like when it's time to chill, like I'm chilling, like, I don't, I don't like life. I don't like mediocrity in life. And so I think it's boring. So I'm not the nine to five go to happy every day. Like, Oh, life's all right. It's okay. It's comfortable. Like to me, uh, you know, comfort's like a prison. Um, and so we need to push that boundary. And so I have impacts that I want to have for the world for my country, for my family, for the people around me, for my community. And I'm not going to do that by uh, taking the easy road and not pushing every day. And so I try to maximize every minute of every day, but at the same time, appreciate it and then take time. I schedule time to do nothing so that I can appreciate the breath coming in and out of my lungs and the sun hitting my face because that has infinite value as well. So I don't want people to think that um, you know, some Elon Musk, if you don't work 120 hours a week, you're a sucker uh, type of guy. That's not me, although I love Elon Musk, but that's not me. But I, but when I decide to do something, I'm going to do it hundred percent. And what, what I found is I've tried to align my passion and my purpose with, uh, my cape of my natural capabilities, which really does come down to leadership and problem solving. And I think I have, I think it's so many businesses, whether it's entrepreneurs struggling to make it or whether it's big corporations with crappy leaders in, in positions that are impacting the world, that are impacting their, their, the people in the company's lives, right? There's you, there's certain lessons you get through a type of career that I've had and that you get in the military, uh, leading soldiers, the, the, the structure the systems and the lessons that they cram into you. You know, I tell people all the time, like I say, I spent five months at ranger school 24 seven, the most intense experiences, you know, some of those intense training experiences you can have leadership experiences and lessons you can have. How long do you have to work in a nine to five corporate environment to learn those lessons? Cause a lot longer than five months, I'll tell you that maybe a lifetime, right. To, to get that same knowledge and experience and really internalize it and be able to communicate it. And so I feel like because I crammed, you know, I feel like a life of leadership lessons into 14 years between four years at West Point, 10 years in the military. And then I crammed another probably 10 or 20 years of business leadership into, you know, five years of intense entrepreneurship and failing and succeeding. I wanted to wrap these up into a package and I, I want to present that because I'm a tr- true believer that leadership is the most powerful force on the planet, that human beings are the most for, uh, powerful force on the planet. And what's more powerful than an individual human being? If you look at our whole human history, it's when we get groups of people with leadership and a common goal and a common vision and structure to accomplish that. Well, now we can change anything. That's how you change the world. That's how you change your company. And so with, I think that big goal in mind, I now have the obligation to try my best to pass that knowledge on and have that impact for these different people and organizations so they can then move forward and be their greatest self and their business can be the greatest, have the greatest impact possible. And that's what kind of drives me, you know, every day to package and promote and start this company. Now, what I really love about you, you know, is you're not only you're an entrepreneur, but you're also a family man. You know, you married Madison in 2019 Mm-hmm. Kind of like I have like my, my bride, you know, she's my partner in crime. She's my ride or die. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when people start businesses or whatever they do, they don't ever, they don't take to account their partner. 
where I know like for some women have like a seventh or eighth sense where if something is off, they'll usually tell you, they'll know if something is off. And I trust my wife like 99% of the time she's right. So, mm-hmm. but a lot of times guys that start businesses won't have that, you know, that hard conversation across the kitchen table until shit goes sideways. And then they have to come up and say, honey, uh, I kind of screwed the pooch. I need your help. So talk to us about, you know, having that partnership in relationships because, you know, it takes two to be successful. And, you know, and like me and my wife, you know, we're a team, you know, just like the military Mm -hmm. teams, me and her are a team. So can you talk about that home concept for business owners also? Absolutely. It's so critical, I think, to bring them in um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, One, you know, at the end of the day, money comes and grows. Your business will fail. Your business will make it. But that experience, that time that you spend, that relationship with your with your partner is is the reason we do all this other thing, all these other things, right? And they are your partner in accomplishing it. And you know, Madison and I dated for years. We basically started dating this, you know, the summer after, a few months after I got out of the military is when we started seeing each other. And then by the end of that year, we were serious and moved in with together. And so, um she went through all those, all those hard times from the first business, the bankruptcies, the financial, she was there for all of that. And she was my rock through all of that. And um, she continues to be an idea. I try to be the same support system for her. And what I think really helps is to, if you said to have those open conversations about a common goal and a common plan, like where are we headed together? And as soon as you start saying, well, I'm going this way, I don't know where you're going or you can't, articulate what their plans are and how you're supporting them and what they want to accomplish, man, you're, you're going to grow in different directions. And that's something that I just, I never want. And so I try to, um, like you said, make everything about that team. I try to communicate about what I want to do. I already want to head almost to the point that she has to tell me to shut up sometimes. Like I get it. I get it. I understand what's going on, you know, but I, uh, but I'm excited about it. And, and you know, what's more, what's better than to work really hard for something, have a big win and then get to share it with a person you love. You know, I don't know if there's anything better than that. And I get no, you know, honestly more pride out of her accomplishments and helping her and to see her, you know, grow in her career and personally and professionally. I mean, it's such a, it's such a pride. And I think it just, you go stronger together that way um, as opposed to trying to grow two separate trees. I love that. So now, okay, last two questions. Cause I know you got a very big day to have. You're going to enjoy the rest of your day. Like, like Absolutely. I am, I got family time and going taking my wife out for dinner because they say if yeah. you don't date your wife, another man will, and I'm not, <laughs> and I'm not feeling that. Uh, so, how do we get in touch with you? How do we find you? How can we uh, hire you uh, as a as a coach? Absolutely. So, um, my website is strongerleadersstrongerprofits.com, and uh, you can go on there and set up a free strategy session. Um, and you know, my primarily. Uh, I do one-on-one coaching and consulting in business. Uh, I also do speaking and I have um, a leadership workshop that I can do virtually in person. That has uh, been awesome to share and put leaders of different levels through. Um, and all that stuff's on the website. On Instagram, it's Sean Patton Presents. And then just Sean Patton on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on all that stuff. But a lot of the resources are on strongerleaderstrongerprofits.com including articles i've written and uh you know other you know podcasts and talks and 
and all the details are on there. I love that. Okay, so now last question I ask everybody because I, you know, I ask a hundred people and I get a hundred different answers. You know, we live in such a crazy world. Like, like we we have three children and two of them are homeschooled. And so, if you ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next twenty four hours, they're more likely. So, if you know somebody that's struggling, either personally or even even business wise. What can they do in the next 24 hours to wreck the ship? So I think it comes down to how you plan and organize and prioritize your time. And so what I would tell them is to sit down and write down the five most important things that provide them purpose, uh, contentment, and fulfillment in their life. Then I would say, look at your calendar and see how much time you have allocated to those five things. And I think what most people find is they'll write down, oh, my health, my family, my, and then they look down and there's not a single time on their calendar that says, spend time with my wife. There's not a thing that's on their calendar that says, spend time with my kids or work out here, do whatever. All that other stuff gets crammed. The actual priorities in our lives that make us happy and successful, we try to cram around and we're slaves to our to-do list. And instead, what I would tell them to do is make blocks of time you know, if running your business is important, if time with your family is important, block out generic time on your calendar that, you know, you know, Tuesday from 7.30 to 8, it's me and my daughter. And whatever she says we're going to do, that's what we're doing. If we're playing dolls, we're playing dolls. If we're playing catch, we're playing catch. If we're sitting around doing nothing, we're sitting around doing nothing. But I'm going to plan that because that's important to me. And that allows you to get to a point where you are uh, scheduling your priorities not having to prioritize the, the schedule because ultimately time is your most valuable resource. And so I would tell people to really get a handle on their calendar and making sure that they're in charge of their time and they are making time for the things that are important. And then you fill in all that little to-do list, all the ankle buyers you just talked about, the errands, that stuff, you'll find time to get it done, but you have to plan times in your your, your schedule for the things that are most important to the happiness and contentment in your life. And then commit to those like your most important appointment in business. I love that. So guys, check him out. You know, check out his stronger leadership, stronger profits. Definitely check that. I'm going to check it out because I'm I'm trying to grow my business also. And if you're in a in national area, check out Legion Jiu Jitsu. Um, if you guys want to roll around a little while, have have fun. I'm sure that they'll take care of you. I want to thank our sponsor James McNeil um, for his amazing book. So thank you, James. Thank you for for taking time today. Uh, thank you for your friendship. And hopefully this is just the beginning of our relationship. And if there's anything I can ever do to help you or promote your business, please let me know. Thank you so much, Richard. Well, it was a great conversation. I look forward to working with you more in the future. So thank you. And thank, thank you all your listeners for paying attention. And hopefully I can talk to a lot of them soon. All right, brother. Well, God bless you. You too. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.